0: EM Board Bombs Now, here's doctors Iltafat Hussein and Blake Briggs Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs podcast where we help you study for boards but in reality we help you study for EM life, hashtag EM life my apologies, one rapid podcast at a time. I am the co-founder and co-host OVM Boar Bombs, Blake Briggs. It's an absolute pleasure to be here after a nice long day shift. (laughs) So I am happily recording this podcast without my comrade-at-arms, Dr. Iltafad Hussein. Unfortunately, he is actually busy stocking up on his challenges this week for TikTok. He regularly does TikTok challenges. You can follow him. Don't know his username. Don't even know how TikTok works. <laughs> for all the social media that we have to do with this podcast, that is the one thing that I have not done. Uh, I've seen way too many people at work with TikTok, and uh, really just can't force myself to do it. Anyway, that's enough rambling about myself. Remember that on EM Board Bombs, you come for the stems, but stay for the content. And boy, do we have a great stem for you today. For each 15-minute episode, you gain high-yield board knowledge And speaking of social media, we're on Twitter and Instagram at EMBoardBombs. You can also find us on Meta, too. So really, we have all of the social media apps covered. I guess it's Snap and uh, TikTok, I guess, in a way. But anyway, so you are paged overhead to the behavioral health holding area of your ED, wherever that is. It could be a chair in the hallway. (laughs) It could be a whole different unit in your emergency department. Maybe you don't have a behavioral health holding and you're very fortunate where you work and you have a receptive psychiatric inpatient facility nearby, maybe across the street. Maybe they take all your patients for you. Wouldn't that be lovely? Anyway, you're paged overhead to the behavioral health holding area of your ED and one of your patients who is currently awaiting bed placement at an inpatient psychiatric facility, doesn't that sound familiar to all of us, is becoming more agitated. As you walk into the room, he stands up from his bed and yells, May I have your attention, please? Will a real... Slim Shady, please stand up. I repeat, will the real Slim Shady please stand up? The nurse says to you that the patient keeps asserting that he is the real Slim Shady. As she talks to you, one of your security officers, who actually goes by the name Slim, corrects the patient and says that his actual name is Slim and says, we're going to have a problem here. Your nurse has tried multiple efforts of verbal de-escalation. Unfortunately, they have not worked. So which of the following is the best next step? Choice A, place restraints. Choice B, turn off the lights and leave the patient in his room with the door closed. Choice C, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> clearly that's uh, maybe not the right answer. Choice C, administer repair all, I am. Choice D, administer midazolam, I am. Choice E, administer ketamine, I am. correct answer here is going to be choice C, Administered Draperidol. I am Draperidol, the darling drug of emergency medicine. Who's going to win in this fight? We have Draperidol and ketamine, but in this case, Draperidol cuts through. You know, there are certain drugs in emergency medicine that are just made to be emergency drugs. You know, emergency doctors just look at it and just nod their heads up and down and say, that's it. That's the drug I want when I need to treat multiple different things. Ketamine is one of those drugs TXA maybe used to be one of those drugs, fell out of the graces recently, hasn't it? And then you have Draperidol. It's back and better than ever. So, Draperidol has been around for years. If we talk to docs that trained even in the 80s and 90s, they've seen Draperidol around. Unfortunately, it was mislabeled with a black box warning in the 2000s, but it's back with a vengeance, treating multiple different things, making waves when it came back on the market around 2019, I think, or so. Most EDs, or at least major centers, should have access to it now. I am very fortunate where I've had to repair it all in multiple centers where I've worked and I cannot tell you enough how awesome it is. But that's not just flowering compliments. I'll give you the research behind it and why this question is actually helpful for the boards. So if you like what you hear so far in this podcast, which isn't much, just a couple of really bad jokes and a cool question stem with M&M references, then you're gonna love our premium podcast. <laughs> I promise. I swear it's good. EM Rapid Bombs. We have over 300 podcast episodes and counting on EM Rapid Bombs. Each episode is just two to four minutes where we drop high yield bombs in a question answer format so it gets seared into your memory. You'll get multiple episodes to your feed weekly. The key here is that you're not just wasting your time studying for the boards or the ITE, which by the way, is less than two months away. Thought I'd let the residents know listening to this, your in-service training exam, which I'm sure no one wants to remediate. Well, get started studying now, and with your annual subscription, you can study starting for next year already, an easy you know, episode a day or so that will help you memorize these facts and learn in a really cool way. We coach you, we tell you what the question is going to test you on, how they're going to ask it, and we tell you neat ways of memorizing it, just what you need to know, nothing more, nothing less. Optimize your time by listening to our Bore of Pearls that will help you with the test, but more importantly, with life. You can sign up for EM Rapid Bombs at emrapidbombs.supercast.com and look at the show notes of this podcast as well. You can find the link on EM Bore Bombs. Agitated patients are often altered. The causes are many, medical, psychiatric, traumatic, and substance-induced, of course. Drug and alcohol intoxication are the most common cause of patients being agitated in disruptive in the emergency department now agitation can result in violence and this is one of the most unfortunate things in emergency medicine thankfully getting a lot more attention now in the national news well let's not put too much credit to the national news the national news is giving a little bit of credit <laughs> talking a little bit about agitation N- emergency medicine news outlets talking a lot about the fact that agitation and violence are a big deal in the emergency department and unfortunately that is the case many of these patients are harmed to themselves and others around them there's close to about 40% of emergency department personnel experiencing violence at some point in their career so safety of the staff always comes first now agitation can be a manifestation of a toxidrome and that's a big disclaimer here of this podcast like an overdose or alcohol withdrawal that's treated differently those patients should not receive simple you know agitation sedation meaning they shouldn't just receive an antipsychotic and restraints, and say, you know, hey, lights off, see you later. Those patients should be managed with aggressive benzodiazepines, you know, resuscitation, and they require a medical workup and an urgent, you know, biochemical analysis. We're not going to talk about those patients this podcast. They deserve their own podcast. In fact, we've covered those patients in other podcasts. We've covered excited delirium. We've covered rhabdomyolysis, and we've covered similar elements of medical toxidromes, like TCA and, and, you know, aspirin, Tylenol, et cetera. Now, other agitated patients may have excited delirium, like I just said. These type of patients have some type of global disturbance in attention and cognition. We did a podcast on this way back in 2019 at SAM in Vegas. Very very fitting. We talked about Pikachu outfits, actually, and Mickey Mouse, I think, uh, on the street. It's a Vegas thing. You wouldn't understand unless you're there. These patients are shouting. They're violent. They're hyperactive. They can be very dangerous to themselves and those around them often security and police have a difficult time restraining these patients. They can be hyperthermic, they have increased strength, and these patients have a high mortality rate. And there's a lot of people that can die at the scene or in transport to the ED. The patients with excited delirium need immediate attention. They're very likely going to need chemical sedation, like full sedation, with you know high-dose ketamine kind of things, and then require medical workup with urgent biochemical analysis. Again, same thing I just talked about the Tox syndrome. So we're not talking about those patients, excited delirium or Tox syndrome. We're talking about the agitated patient who is more or less just not very nice and behaving not very nice to staff and is more or less a threat to themselves and others and is disruptive. That's really the better word here. It's not that they have excited delirium or toxidrome. They are disruptive. Now, if the patient is violent, agitated, or uncooperative, you're not going to attempt an EKG. That is not the answer here. If there is a documented history of a known prolonged QT, let's say they've been there before and you know they have that, or let's say you somehow were able to look in the chart and see that they have a prolonged QT, or let's say you already have an EKG while they've been there and it's prolonged QT, you're going to skip the antipsychotics and move to the benzodiazepines. You can follow up with an EKG once the patient is more sedated and establish a baseline QTC for future sedation and medication choices. Of course, a point of care glucose should also be performed once the patient is cooperative or sedated covering the EKG stuff because people always ask these type of questions that don't regularly work in the emergency department. They think, well, you need an EKG before you give antipsychotics. That's not the case. The vast majority of patients are fine to receive antipsychotics. It's the patients that have a documented history of QTC prolongation that we should be concerned about. The vast majority of patients, you won't have this information and you're just going to go for it and try to use the best agent possible. Let's talk about the best agents possible. (laughs) So when you are doing therapy of the acutely agitated patient or disruptive patient, The number one step is verbal de-escalation. That is the number one answer on board tests and and in real life. I mean, it is. It's the simplest thing to do. You just walk up to the bedside or walk into the room and have a good attitude with your patients, meaning that you're not a jerk. You try to approach them from a sense of understanding, and sometimes it's placing the patient in a quiet, safe location. Good luck with that in a overcrowded critical bed shortage ED, right? (laughs) If you work in an ED that has empty beds all the time, tell us, please. We'll send our patients there. We're going to transfer, right? Now, minimizing contact with the other patients is also helpful. If this particular patient is in the hallway, maybe isolating him from that area is a good idea. Him or her, excuse me. And of course, securing any loose objects in the room. So that's why choice B was wrong, and I'm sorry I gave it away. Hopefully some of you didn't pick that. Turn off the lights and leave the patient in the room with the door closed. Bad idea. Uh, You're just going to cause more trouble for the patient to throw things around, to damage things, to hurt themselves. Leaving the patient and shutting the door and trying to ignore it is not going to help, right? Now, if a patient indicates potential cooperation, considering oral medications first, like ODT agents, are great. One of these is rapidly dissolving zyprexazitis, which sounds like a Harry Potter spell, but it's not. 10 milligrams zyprexazitis is ODT, which means once the pill is in the mouth, it's difficult to spit out. Now, then, of course, you can perform EDKG after and use this later as a QTC baseline. Okay, let's say none of that works. Let's say they're not cooperative. They don't want to take oral medications or you're past de-escalation. That's when you start thinking about pharmacologic agents. Your first-line agent should be an antipsychotic. Now, that's on the boards for an agitated, disruptive patient. First-line is antipsychotics. In real life, that should be the case too. The evidence is strongly supportive of that. What should your first-line antipsychotic be? Drumroll, please. It's droperidol. Anything from 1.25 to 5 milligrams intramuscular is great, usually 2.5 being a great starting dose. Here are the awesome things about droperidol. It has a more rapid onset than haloperidol in agitated patients and those with acute psychosis. Droperidol has been found to be a superior medication for rapid sedation of agitated patients in comparison to lorazepam or zeprazidone. Now, the effects on the QTC are also the same. It's been studied as Zeprazidone, and they're minimal. It's long been debated how much antipsychotics truly affect the QTC in a short-term episode. I'm not saying that they don't. They definitely do. But blaming that droperidol affects the QTC more than others is just plain silly. It's been disproven. It's an undeserved black box warning. And droperidol has not been found to have more extrapyramidal side effects than ziprasidone in another study. Treperidol is an effective agent in reducing agitation and violent behavior compared to midazolam as well, high-dose midazolam. Another cool thing is treperidol use results in less additional sedation being needed. Pretty awesome. And it's also been associated with less respiratory depression among intoxicated patients compared to benzodiazepines and zeprazidone. So altogether, pretty awesome medication. So when are you not giving treperidol? Do not give Draperidol or any antipsychotic if the QTC is greater than 500. All right, we'll get back to that in a second. Let's talk about our second line agent. Let's say that you gave Draperidol and it didn't work. You still have a disruptive patient. Well, your second line agent is another antipsychotic. You can give Zeprazidone, which is also called Geodon. That's a brand name, by the way. People know that more. And that's intramuscular, 10 to 20 milligrams. Or you can give IM, good old Haloperidol haloperidol, not getting the love anymore. It's just one of those un- unloved antipsychotic medications. And you can give this classic, quote-unquote, B52 people give, which is the haloperidol, the Benadryl, and midazolam. Zeprazidone, or Geodon is preferred over haloperidol because it does have a faster onset, and it's an easier transition to oral medications in some studies. Now, you're not thinking about that at the moment. You're just trying to sedate a patient. So really, ziprasidone or the B52 as we call it, are acceptable second line agents. Ziprasidone so causes less sedation and it has a lower risk of extrapyramidal side effects compared to haloperidol, however. Now, what's your third line option? Third line option is just giving a benzodiazepine, midazolam, or lorazepam. Midazolam is preferred if it's intramuscular. And the vast majority of these patients are going to be intramuscular doses. Now, benzodiazepine should be first line if any question stem or in real life mentions the prolonged QT greater than 500, right? Benzodiazepines are usually faster in onset compared to antipsychotics. However, they have a much higher reported rate of respiratory depression. That's why these things shouldn't be first line. These are the patients that get benzodiazepines. They often require additional medications, and then they're over-sedated, and they're, they're an airway risk. The worst part about this airway risk is, is that this isn't the type of airway risk you're watching. Think about it. A nurse comes up to you. They ask for medications for sedation. Maybe you're at bedside, and you authorize it, and you see them given. What do you do? You walk away and go see several other patients, and you forget that your psychiatric patient is the one with an active sedation going on. So be very careful with your benzodiazepine doses. Be careful with any of these medications, of course, but the benzodiazepines have the highest risk of respiratory depression. All right, now let's talk about ketamine. Didn't feel the love with ketamine this question, I know. Ketamine was choice E, and that was the incorrect answer. Why was it? Well, ketamine is first line for excited delirium. And if the patient is acutely agitated but not having excited delirium, this should be the last option. Now, it is a faster time to sedation than antipsychotics and benzodiazepines, but this is considered moderate or even deep sedation, and it requires telemetry, pulse oximetry, and tidal capnography. That means you're putting this patient to a deep sleep of some type. We all know that patients with ketamine don't often really sleep. They just kind of go off into a little fairyland of bunnies and <laughs> magic. So anyway... Ketamine is one of those medications that's going, to very be a, that's going to be very effective, but then it takes a nurse away because then you're going to have to have one-on-one monitoring to do this effectively and safely, right? So remember that when you give ketamine for sedation, you're committing for the long haul. That's why it shouldn't be the first-line treatment to properly sedate a patient. That's just being disruptive. Now, what about physical restraints? I mentioned that those were wrong in choice A because choice A said placed restraints and that was it. That's not the right answer here. You shouldn't be placing restraints and walking away. So soft restraints may have, you know, they may have to be used initially as a chemical sedation is being administered or being prepared. Right? Restraints do not completely protect patients. Patients can continue to fight restraints, and of course, they could cause a fracture depending on their age or risk or whatever position they're in. Rhabdomyolysis is a scary concern. Long-term restraints, and of course, probably the scariest. I've read horror stories, med mal cases of patients in restraints not being monitored and they asphyxiate from being in an awkward position, sliding off in the bed or maybe being on their belly. Scary stuff. Be very, very careful of putting restraints on and reassessing the patient as soon as possible you can get those off. Patients in restraints need monitoring and frequent reassessments. So remember that. So what agents are you going to avoid entirely? What agents are always the wrong answer on the test question and probably real life? Clopromazine, also called thorazine. Thorazine sounds a lot better. It is associated with more hypotension, more anticholinergic effects, and it lowers the seizure threshold. Now, of course, all antipsychotics technically lower the seizure threshold, but thorazine has been studied to be worse. All right. So let's recap here and let's wrap it up in a nice summary. So acutely agitated disruptive patients. These aren't the patients that have a toxicrome or a medical emergency like excited delirium. These are patients that are likely intoxicated or have a primary psychiatric comorbidity. They're in the ED. They're probably being held for placement somewhere or psychiatric reassessment or just some type of hold or drug washout, whatever. It doesn't matter. They're there and they're disruptive. You've already tried verbal de-escalation. That's the number one correct answer on the test and in real life. It saves you a lot of trouble of administering drugs, someone getting hurt, holding the patient down, needle stick, et cetera. Verbal de-escalation is the way to go but eventually it usually doesn't work for some patients and you have to give them medications. IM is preferred. A- inject straight through the clothes. Don't try to take the clothes off and worry about the needle stick. It's very dangerous. And restraints alone are the wrong answer. Placing restraints, that choice A said, wrong answer. Turning off the lights and leaving the patient in the room with the door closed, bad answer. Always wrong. Choice C was administering i IM was the correct answer for many reasons. Faster sedation time, less side effects than the other drugs, and just an all-around superior drug profile at a lower dose. Midazolam, not a good first choice, but it is good first choice if you have a prolonged QTC or know the patient has a prolonged QTC. Finally, ketamine being the wrong choice just because a moderate sedation or deep sedation with ketamine, bad choice. It takes a nurse out of the mix when we already have a nursing shortage. You know, the full sedation shebang will always give. Alright, and that's all I have time for today. Remember to check out EM Rapid Bombs at EMRapidBombs.supercast.com. You can look at the show notes of this podcast to find it, or go directly there to EM 4 Bombs and click through the links to get there. Again, thanks for listening. Hopefully I'll, talk. I'll be back next time. See ya.